Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, Pulsecast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of Pulsecast. Hello, and welcome to IAOP's Pulsecast. In this episode, we'll be listening in on a session from Gov20 titled Regulations and Compliance in the New Normal. We'll be joining leaders from the financial and insurance sectors as they discuss how regulations and compliance have to increasingly be included in ongoing governance. Listen along as they discuss great practices that deliver stability and value to their enterprises as they address and solve for regulatory and compliance challenges. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this afternoon's panel. We got a, a great group of folks here who are gonna give you a lot of insight. Uh, the best part is that I won't be talking, so that's, kind of going to make the team really jump in. You know, we're in, a, we're in a new time. We're experiencing a lot of new things, and we've had some great sessions already today. But you know, folks, and, and mainly the panel, operational controls are the foundation to a sound governance program. What are some of the immediate challenges you faced in the transition to the remote and work-from-home formats? Jen, why don't you start us off and kind of quickly tell us uh, where you're from? Hi, I'm Jen Duest. I work for Wellington Management in Boston. And I wanted to just let you know that for, from our perspective, we're an investment management firm. And when we knew that we were all going to go into quarantine, we, we scrambled a little bit, um, but we reached out to all of our key strategic partners to make sure we knew what their plans were, what was going to happen. And then since then, we've also made sure that uh, because this is prolonged, we've continued to reach out to them as this quarantine has continued on. I will say that our, our, our biggest hurdle at the beginning was making sure that whatever scenario that our partners ended up working in from a remote perspective, be it their home or another location or someone flew off to another country, that their was language, the appropriate language was in the contract. That was a hurdle, it was a scramble for our contract people in the procurement area that they needed to make sure that there wasn't any breach of the contracts. And that was kind of a scramble at the beginning. Michael, what's some of the stuff you saw? Hey John, Michael Nacarado uh, with Transamerica and um, I'm glad to join today in the capacity as by side ambassador from the IOP. So a lot of my responses will be a culmination of different uh, feedback. I've, I've reached out to the buyer community and the network. Um, the, the most common thing uh, for the, the buy side that uh, colleagues that I've talked to was just the sheer magnitude of, of what needed to happen in a very short period of time. So uh, those of us with major uh, outsourcing and offshoring engagements, um, especially in India, there were literally 24 to 48 hour notices of local provinces going into a, a shutdown shelter in, in place. So, um, you know, we, we had a lot of scrambling to do, like Jen said, around contracting, looking at policy, um, how, how to set up some oversight for company-owned devices. And I know you'll, you have another question later about talking about company-owned and personal-owned devices. And, um, you know, and especially in India, a lot of folks went to shelter in place uh, back home, uh, which is totally understandable. But, you know, getting equipment to remote um, places, especially with travel restrictions that were going into place, that's, that was a majority of, of the challenges we had up front. 
Alpa, I know you you face some stuff as a you know global bank. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much. Really excited to be on this panel. Uh, my name is Alpa Namdar. I run the head of third party governance advisory at BNY Mellon. Uh, and similar to Jen and Michael, I think both of them, um, again, I think contractual was big, right? Because of our SLAs, most of the, you know, contract language was pretty much, we don't have it working from home, uh, especially on these um, locations such as our international, either it's India, either it's China, Poland. So I think that was one. Um, the one of the biggest challenge we had was the laptops, right? Um, we were not equipped and we had a quite a challenge um, to make sure that people actually got laptops. And at some stages we were even saying, you know, would it make sense to take the desktop and be able to provide that to the employees given the global pandemic? Um, so like most organization, right? We were very linear when we think about BCP testing, we think about one location, uh, but given the global pandemic, I think it you know, really made us think about not the linear risk, but multi-risk and thus um, we had to react very quickly. I think we did do that really well, but we had to take some, like you said, precaution. Um, one, definitely making sure if we, they do have the laptops, do we have the right encryption, dual authentication, yeah. things like that. So very similar to some of the things that my just colleague said, John. You know, let me, uh, let me throw you a little curveball here. See, the nice part, folks, the audience, I sent them a bunch of questions and we talked about this, but I can sneak some stuff in now. <laughs> did, did anybody experience platform failures where what you thought was going to work just couldn't handle the volumes or the load. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll take it. And then again, you know, I can pass it on to my um, colleagues. Um, we did have it at after a certain point, right? So we had issue with the web access. Uh, we did have a network. And the reason is because we've never had 51,000 employees working at the same time um, on the server load. So we did have, you know, some concerns. We did then, of course, shift it as we got to see um, what we did is we started changing different surveys based on your last name. So that way we had more bandwidth and capacity. But yeah, we did see that initially in the first month or two. I think after the second month, we knew this is going to be ongoing. And I think we had better processes. But I think the first two months, you would have people drop off. Um, they had network issues, connectivity issues as well. And I'll say for Wellington, uh, I'll just give a little plug to our IT and InfoSec people. They definitely, uh, unknowingly, of course, but they were prepared. They had implemented technology. We were ready for it. The only challenges we had internally were at people's homes or their remote locations. People had to boost Wi-Fi. You ended up having your children home, your spouse home. So instead of just you being on um, the Wi-Fi, you could have three, four, five people trying to buy for, for that bandwidth. But we, um, we actually did, uh, did very well, and the, that, that all goes back to our IT and InfoSec people. Excellent. Michael? Yeah, I actually got both ends of the spectrum and the feedback uh, from the buy side. Uh, there were some folks that were not prepared, didn't have the bandwidth, um, and had to take their... Um, their projects back in-house, uh, which obviously created some challenges uh, to do that. And then there were uh, several folks that I talked to that good, solid, you know, third-party risk programming. Uh, they trusted their controls. They had the right controls in place. And again, it was it was really just scale that they were challenged with a lot of password uh, resets and, and having the staffing, uh, you know, to handle not only their uh, employees, but you know, thousands of uh, outsource uh, providers. And then I did hear also those that are very dependent on outsourcing for call center support, 
um, really challenged uh, for people to take calls uh, remote. So again, that was a driver of some folks that had to bring uh, their processes in-house. Interesting. You know, uh, again, sticking with sort of the, the foundation that, you know, we believe that, you know, controls are the foundation of a, of a strong governance program. So control policies and procedures, you know, for most operations are based on staff working usually from within a company controlled environment. Now we are dealing with, you know, kitchen offices, as Jen mentioned, people in the house vying for, you know, uh, uh, Wi-Fi space, multiple people. You know, a lot of us are spoiled in, in some of the, the communities or the areas we live in where, you know, we have, you know, I'm in one room, my daughter was in another room, my wife was in a third room. But in some, you know, I've lived in other parts of the world, in some areas, you, know, you don't have that luxury. You've got a lot of people in a small space. So those kind of situations, you know, so we're dealing with that. We're dealing with people working from cafes more than ever, you know, shared Wi-Fi. Michael, Michael, you mentioned non-company laptops and personal devices. So kind of with that whole thing I just threw out there, how did you address this new uncharted operating environment? So let's see, Michael, why don't you start? Why don't you lead us off? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot at this. Um, it, it was really monitoring and oversight. Um, we had met with all of our strategic partners. We knew at the individual level who was on a company device or who was on a personally owned device. Um, we further restricted access. Um, we cut off all, all kinds of printing, even those that had the exception um, in the office. And you know, we had to practice real, real risk management there were anything that we deviated from our policy, we followed our normal risk process, documented as a risk acceptance. So it's, it's recorded and we could, we could monitor it. And then we just held our, our partners accountable for, for giving us updates and ultimately getting everybody on a uh, company owned device. But again, because of the short time frame and having to service the customers, it's one of those risks uh, that we mitigated and, um, and managed really. Alpha, what did you see in this area? Um, so, you know, similar to what Michael said, yeah, I mean, you know, we did go extra length on the monitoring and the due diligence, but I think one of the things we also added, two things we added on is additional training, right? Um, and then the right tools. So I'll go a little bit on the training. Um, really, we changing our process because we are working from virtual home. What is the definition of the confidential information? What kind of conversations are you, are you having in the household that could pertain um, to somebody who might be, you know, in the same industry with a different company that might get that information. So what are the protocols? What are the training documentation that, you know, you do not discuss even though you're in the same household? Um, we also looked at data hygiene and cyber hygiene, right? So we wanted to make sure we brought, you know, we brought in some tools that looks at IP addresses and verifies, you know, what kind of data are you opening up to, right? That could potentially have breaches. So I think, you know, training was, you know, even talking to people about phishing because everybody's now on emails, what kind of internal or external data are you sending to your third party? And, you know, are you looking at that extra controls of the email addresses? Are they all emails? Um, and are you, you know, attaching with security passwords? So I think, you know, we did a really good job of monitoring, but we added additional two facets, which is extreme amount of training on how when you work from home and then the tools that can help us navigate and monitor that additional process. Okay. Uh, and John, we did yeah, the same yeah. thing uh, with both internally with our employees 
and also with our key strategic uh, outsource partners. We um, pretty much did uh, all the things that Michael and Alpa talked about, but I will say just anecdotally, some of the things that people never thought of uh, was to make sure that when you are talking um, either on the phone or, or like this on video, people didn't realize that their, I don't know what they're called, but Alexa was listening. And at the end of the day, sometimes she would uh, repeat back some of the, some of the conversation. Uh, so people said to either unplug it, make sure you delete, to ask them to delete, ask that machine to delete everything at the end of the day. We also had asked uh, no printing at home, um, if at all possible. And um, it was, it's just interesting, some of the, some of the um, little factoids that came out of this, this uh, environment that people typically wouldn't have thought of about working from home. Interesting. Michael. Yeah, I, I would say everything that my colleagues have said, there's some key learnings as well. There's, you know, dinosaurs like myself that wanted to print everything and, and write on it and highlight it. And here I was uh, overnight in my house with no ability uh, to print. So it actually, you know, forced me to work in a different way. And, and I'm actually back in the officer environment, as you may be able to tell, for three weeks now. And I think I've only printed one document in, in three weeks. So I think there's some real positives uh, that have come out of this as well. You know, you know we, we, uh, I was in the industry for many years and I remember when we had the whole LIBOR, you know, scandal where, you know, they were all talking. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine and he was saying, you know, well, I'm, I work for, you know, this bank and my wife works for that bank and my brother had stopped by and he works for a third organization. So I said, oh, it was like, you know, a LIBOR coffee chat. And, and he said, you know, reality John <laughs> there was a lot of conversation going on and everybody was like don't look at my screen and don't listen to what I'm saying because they were in a small apartment in Manhattan so those are some of the challenges but you know I, I I'm, I'm gonna take you kind of to the next step where I see this going and we're really gonna have time at the end for questions and for some open discussion but I I, uh, I remember talking to one of the folks on the panel and who said that you know they they had received a, an internal audit letter that said, wow, you guys did a great job getting us through the early stages of the, of the, uh, the crisis. And now we're going to come in and do an audit of all the things you didn't do that you said you were going to do in your policies. So, you know, with, with all of the changes and that the fact we were making sort of battlefield decisions, you know, what, what are we going to see? What do you think we're going to see? You know, with, we are seeing auditors and regulators beginning to start reviews. So how are you planning to address the gaps you know, we've discussed and some of the things we'll continue to discuss. And, and, you know, are you going to change policies right away? Have you started to do that? Kind of what's going to happen next? Because now we're, this is going to be life as it is for the, for, for the foreseeable future. So who wants to jump in at that one? Uh, Alpha, you want to take a crack at that to start? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so look, I think audit and regulators, I think they did give us, as I called, um, you know, a 30 day free pass or a jail pass, right? I think they were, you know, nobody knew how long one uh, we were going through this pandemic. Uh, but now that I think in after six months, I think the regulators in our audit are really coming in and saying, do you have a really strong governance, right? Do, are you going to change the policies? And I think, look, more and more as we are having discussions about people coming back to the office, 
Are we going to retain the remote working from home? We are in the process of going to change some policies, right? Um, either it's how we do on-site assessments because we are not going on-site anymore. People are virtual. So I think that policy changes. Um, I think there's a lot of process internally that we're looking at that how do we define that to the regulators. Um, the other process is even our overall risk assessment, right? So in the past, we used to do periodic risk assessments only on the onboarding and then ongoing monitoring. Um, given so many changes, now we're doing continuous monitoring. We're looking at real-time alerts. Uh, and then we're escalating into the right um, you know, stakeholders in the organization. Our board is heavily engaged that maybe let's say 10 years ago, they might not have. And the reason is because if we think about third-party governance, that has always been on the expense side, not on the revenue. Now, looking at the reputational risk, some of the challenges we are facing, I think the regulators are going to really start looking into saying, how are you changing that process? And I think, you know, we'll have to be innovative, right? Because it's not one answer. Everybody isn't going to be working from home for the rest of our lives. Nobody's not going to travel. But I do think it'll be a hybrid and our policies need to reflect that. So, well, you know, we're going to go through some major changes in the last six to nine months as an industry. And then I think the regulators are expecting that as well, saying, how are you transforming your processes in the, you know, as throughout this COVID. Hey, Jen, you know, I was thinking about that to expand on what Alpha said, you, know, you have traders actually, right? You have traders mm -hmm. working from home and stuff. So how did all that come into play with, and with the policies and procedures and of course the auditors and the regulators? Uh, we, we actually did have um, in several of the offices, it's very few, but there were some traders that went, still went in every day, ones that lived very close to the office didn't need to take public transportation, et cetera. But um, there were, you're used to having people sit side by side and you'd have compliance people or um, in the room or, or nearby and they just had to adapt. They were uh, constant communication on the phone, watching uh, the trading um, blotter. But as if you may recall, the March and April timeframe was so volatile in the market and volumes were historic. It was just, um, it, it was unprecedented. And they did, they did get through it. They figured it out along the way, um, knock on wood, no issues. And we, um, we will be making changes accordingly, but from a third party risk perspective and in that format, I really do think we've proven with the real time monitoring, changing as Alpha said, changing, how we assess and do our periodic due diligence. I honestly, this, they're still gonna happen, but I think it's gonna be the exception versus the norm that we have on-site visits. There really isn't, um, and I will miss that part of it. I mean, you develop relationships with your key strategic partners. I've been on the phone with most of them or on video during um, the first uh, four or five months of quarantine every day. I think you're able to um, still have success with your due diligence and all that monitoring using some of the other tools that are available today. Michael, how, how do you think we're gonna, it's gonna impact the actual you know, true third party back office vendor? You know, people doing settlements and doing payroll and accounts payable and all that. I think what's gonna happen there is it's going to uh, test our, our traditional thinking, right? Um, just a simple, right? When outsourcing and offshoring first started, you had to have everything locked down, you know, three, four levels of security, bulletproof glass door to get into the 
to the ODC, ODC area, and then overnight we're in a work from, from home posture. So I think some of this has just tested uh, traditional thinking, you know, was, was that good to have, nice to have, or, or must have. And I think we're, we're, we're revisiting that. Um, and, and again, it, it's a true test of what your third party risk management program structure and disciplines had in place. So like I said, some of the folks that I talked to had to pull their processes back. Although nobody had reported an unscheduled regulator visit, I think what the regulators will focus on first is those uh, companies that weren't prepared and had to pull back, had to go into a very uh, defensive posture. Um, those of my colleagues that were very well prepared um, and had very minimal disruption, one of the things that they're reporting at, and I think maybe the regulators will pick up on this, is we were all very concerned and doing great oversight on our third parties, but all of a sudden, fourth parties, those third parties that our strategic partners were dependent on were now in the same situation. And in this world pandemic, there was no geography you could go run and hide to. So everybody really had to figure out what they're doing um, in place. And I have heard conversation, John, of uh, folks that this is new for the regulators as well, right? Who thought that a world pandemic was ever really going to happen? Um, and we want to get out in front, talk with our regulators. I think this is a great opportunity for us in the industry to influence the next guidance letters um, by, sh by sharing as opposed to sitting back and waiting for the regulators just to put out the next guidance letter and then we have to ad adhere to it. So again, I think this, this unusual event um, also produces un unusual opportunities to sort of help change the governance and, and structure of our industry going forward. That's a great point. Uh, thank you. And I, I appreciate all of you, that, you know, kind of you know, jumping in on this. So kind of listening to what you were saying. So I, I'm hearing you say that, so we're seeing a transition away from kind of episodic point in time assessments to more, you know, real time risk intelligence, continuous monitoring. And the other thing I think Michael brought in a good point, and I'd like all of you to just comment on this. You know, what do you start to see about actual locations? You know, it's not only who my vendor is, but it's where they are operating from or not only my captive, but where my captive is operating from. So kind of let's just, you know, talk freely about, you know, risk intelligence, continuous monitoring, you know, jurisdictional or, or geopolitical stuff. I think this is kind of where we can wrap this up and then maybe uh, take some questions. So who wants to start off there? Okay, I volunteer, Jen. Of course you do. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, I, I think just as for, last couple of words on this is uh, my focus uh, currently is on the jurisdictional outside of the US the regulators um, I don't think are willing to give and I'll use Alpa's word because I've used it before a pass um, their expectations haven't waned their timing hasn't waned and we really I really am focusing on making sure that we meet all of the regulatory requirements of all of the jurisdictions that we operate in. And what I'm hoping is going to happen is that the governance structure that was in place prior to the pandemic might flex a little bit because we've learned that certain things can be done and some of the risks that they were fearful of um, didn't materialize. It doesn't say that, I'm not gonna say that it will never happen, but I'm hoping that it's gonna give enough evidence 
and clout that they're going to be able to flex a little bit, especially selfishly for our industry. So we'll see what happens. Well, Alpha. <laughs> no, I agree with Jen, right? I think, you know, 20 years ago, there were a lot of industries that said you can't work from home, right? Guess what? We all, I mean, if you think about, you know, pretty much all the industries, um, our productivity hasn't gone significantly down. Now you'll have pockets here and there, right? But if you think about overall process, people working virtually has not changed the productivity and overall as an organization. So that I think that's one that makes a difference. And then the second thing is, like you said, we have to be more adaptive. And I think by having, you know, strong governance, making sure even the real time alerts, how do you have a process? Who's reviewing these alerts? Who is the single point of contact? What is your escalation path and then execution, right? So now you have an alert, what do you do with it? Because as a regulators or audit, great, you were notified there was an alert, but now they're going to the next steps. What did you do? Because sometimes it's actually worse that you know something and you didn't take an action versus you were ignorant, right? So I think that also comes into play. Um, and then the third thing, last thing I would say is, you know, because of the heightened attention that, you know, the leadership is getting as well, because now it's not just about financial risk and cybersecurity risk. I think uh, we have to be much more depth and breadth. And what do I mean by depth and breadth? We have to start looking at climate risk. We have to look at geopolitical risk. We have to look at concentration risk. So to be honest, in the past, we have never paid attention when we have contractors. Where are they, you know, how much are they focused in India versus Poland versus Dublin, right? Now, because of the global pandemic, it has a significant impact on our deliveries and SLAs and KPIs. So I think we are going to have to transform that process a little bit. We will need to take a deeper dive and you know, change our process when we're doing onboarding, saying, what is your workforce? Where are they based? Because now we could have a concentration issue or some geopolitical or environmental, right? We just went through that recently in East Coast. Um, we had the you know, COVID and naturally people are working from home and then we had the hurricane and a lot of people lost power. And again, we had to think on our feet, how quickly can we actually still meet our deliverables? So, you know, I do think, you know, like what Jen said and, you know, John, both of them, it's very, very critical. We need to be on top of real time monitoring. I think it's going to be critical. We need to be able to have more data. And then once we have the data, what we need to do with that data and how do we classify that? Michael, going to wrap us up here. Yeah, I'd say we talked a lot about the what we do and, and the how we were doing it. Um, we also need to keep one eye on the who is doing it, right? Just as, as quick as the pandemic hit and as quick as we went to a work from home posture, um, it's like anything, right? When you first go home and we were talking about this before the call, the advantages of not paying for dry cleaning, gas and, and meals. Um, but everything will wear on your nerves eventually, too much of anything, right? So we're, you know, five or six months into this, we really need to keep an eye on our people. And, and like you said, John, some uh, folks have the uh, ability to work in an office by themselves and some have three or four family members doing school and, 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 and both people working. Um, I, we really need to keep an eye also on uh, the psyche of the who in our, in our people and making sure that we're staying connected and really trying to figure out, you know, new hires, right? We all need new hires. I almost said, talked about training. Well, how do you bring new managers on in a COVID environment where they can't even travel, you know, to meet their teams or, 
or build and establish you know partnerships and, and relationships with with new business partners that's going to be critical for them to be a success so you know we do focus on the what we do and how we do it uh, i think we need to equally keep an eye on who is doing it with us no michael and one thing i would want to add is even the mental well-being right because we are getting overstretched in a sense of now we don't have those boundaries so i think it's a great point that you made michael well, I think that was great. You know, you guys really hit it. So we got a couple of minutes left and I, we don't have any questions. I think that's because you guys are hitting on everything. So, you know, let's have it, let's just open it up. I and mean, what's some of the things that you're seeing that we should be planning for maybe, you know, for the next uh, six months to 12 months. So if everybody can jump in for maybe a half a minute or so and just kind of give us some thoughts. So I can jump in first. Yeah, um, I you know, playing catch up, right? There are some, we cut some corners. Uh, you know, we, we did a good job, I feel. Uh, and others I've talked to in documenting, you know, where we did, you know, cut some corners. Um, but now it's time to take a breath and circle back. And, and again, just declare what, what is our new risk appetite? What's our new risk tolerance in, in this? And then formally documenting that and then adjusting your, your activities to your new risk uh, tolerance levels. Yeah, I would echo that. The governance piece, we, we, we are playing catch up. I'd like to say that um, new priorities and, and COVID related items aren't coming up anymore, but they still are. We, we had a lot of um, mini projects come up early on that uh, derailed our existing plans for the year. We are trying to play catch up, but I do think the biggest thing will be that what we learned from this, we just have to remember going forward. We can flex, we need to flex. We need to be able to understand, yes, that procedure looks great, that policy looks great, but in practice, this is what we can do. This is, just take more of a, what we just learned over the last six, six and a half months, take a risk-based approach, really look at it, and then see what changes can be made to your governance and oversight models. Come on, Alpha, close this out. So I would say reevaluate and resiliency, right? So I think reevaluate our processes, um, look at our talent, because I do think it's important, make sure we're connected with the people, um, because it is not the same, because when you don't travel, when you're not talking, you're not seeing when people on the other side are having a good day or a bad day that you might see in the office. So I think it's that. And then resilient is, look, I mean, we went through this for six months and we've done an outstanding job across industries, uh, across globally. So we need to be able to say that, look, we're resilient and more agile than ever because we do need to look at our risk processes and we've done it right we've survived six months and more to come um, but i do need to make sure people understand that this is a huge hercules effort that every industry has kind of surpassed and you know withstand so with that i'm going to do the closing okay listen you guys have been absolutely fabulous i hope the audience enjoyed it if you have questions send them in uh, and we got a lot more coming up for the rest today tomorrow and friday so again, thank you and stay well, stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.